Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Froderick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Froderick Frankenstein? It isn't, it's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Uh, you were sent by Herr Falkstein, weren't you? Yes. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. <laughs> How nice. Of course, the rates have gone up. Of course. Of course. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. You know, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm a rather brilliant surgeon. Perhaps I could help you with that hump. What hump? Let's go. Allow me, master. Oh, thanks very much. Walk this way. Ugh. Yes, get over there! I refuse. I just test my secrets. I am enjoying this scene. Get on with it! Scene 24. <laughs> was it scene 24? I don't remember. I think it was 24. I think that was the number. And the number of times shall be three. There we go. Hello and welcome to Cramp. Yay! <laughs> I can't say it. Hello and welcome to Crank Kick Commentaries. As always, I'm your host, Jake Del Mastro, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Keaton Byer. It's alive! It is alive, yes. Uh, and that, what is alive is this podcast, and it is live, rather. I should have shouted it's live. That would have been a better bit, because we are in the same room. Again, as Again, always. As al- uh, well, well, not, not as, as always, always as but sometimes. As sometimes, but as we always are when we are sometimes, we are in the same room. Does that make sense? No, but why don't we just get on with it? All right, let's get on with it. Get on with it! Yeah, so uh, we're back. We're going to do some more Young Frankenstein for you here. Um, young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Please. Yeah, 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 sorry. <laughs> last week, uh, so let's talk about like uh, what we did last week, and then we can get caught up, and then we'll, uh, you know... We'll continue. We'll, we'll on our carry on yeah, exactly to Transylvania. Yeah, because you know Mel Brooks. It's a it's a it's an interesting journey all the way through. Absolutely. Um. So last week we talked. We obviously did the five minute summary where we explained the uh the plot. Well, you explained the plot, and then we gave our uh our initial thoughts, which was I think we're both fairly very. I think we're pretty high in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's that's the general consensus. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. We're talking about this movie, or what we talked about last week, which was basically, yeah, basic facts, you know, who was in it, the fact that Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder were the uh, the driving force behind it. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a bit more this week, because I, I, there's some more, some shit came to light, man. Not like a whole lot of shit, but like some shit. Like shit came to light in general, or just to us? Just to me. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, we're learning always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're... No, no new shit about this movie has come to light in the past week. Or <laughs> no, no, no. New shit to my general understanding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's just, I'm just going to refresh. Unless some new shit happened with History of the World Part Two, but we'll That might have happened, yeah, actually. It's... it's possible. We'll give you updates on that um, as we find them out. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
So uh, I'm gonna refresh because I was as I was uh, going through as I was going through this week's, I kept forgetting who was in this movie. So I'm just gonna go through them again. Mm-hmm. Obviously Gene Wilder, but then as the uh, as the monster, you've got Peter Boyle, yeah. uh, Ray's dad. <laughs> then you've got Marty Feldman as Igor, Cloris Leachman as uh, Sheik's uh, 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 Blucher. Is that who Frau she Blucher. Is? Frau Blucher. Terry Gar is the uh, uh, assistant, mm-hmm. and then. Madeline Kahn is the uh, the fiance. Yeah. And then you've got uh, did we mention uh, what's his name? Why am I blanking on him? The guy who plays the blind guy. Oh, I don't know who we did. I don't know that we actually mentioned him last week, but uh, obviously he's what's, a. What's his name? Yeah, he's a, a big star of the time. I'm like blanking on his name right now, but. Just going on TV. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I'm doing right now. Gene Hackman. That's who it was. Oh right, yeah. I forgot Fucking... that we didn't we didn't mention Gene. I don't Hackman. know how we didn't do that. Yeah, weird of us, but there you go. He was in it as the blind man. Apparently, well, we'll talk about him more later on. Um, but yeah, so then we just talked about pre-production, and yeah, the the, the well, we talked a lot about Mel Brooks. I think we kind of set yeah. the the background yep. for him, and then the pre-production, which we kind of attributed to both of them. Well, obviously, we said Wilder came up with it on the set of Blazing Saddles and brought it to Mel Brooks. So let's that's let's start with this episode now because that kind of brings us up to date. Because he brought it up, the way we kind of made it sound last week is not exactly how Gene Wilder made it sound in an interview I was listening. Okay. The way he made it sound was that that wasn't really like the start of they didn't really start working immediately after that. He mm-hmm. just mentioned the idea to Mel Brooks, and Mel Brooks was like, "Hey, that's kind of funny," mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, "Hey, let's immediately start working on this movie." Mm-hmm. So apparently, uh, uh, um, according to Gene Wilder, it was it was actually more his his agent started representing Peter Boyle and someone else, oh. <laughs> and they were like, uh, 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 "So you should do a project with these other people." Someone else who was in the movie, I forget which one it was, but um, and uh, Gene Wilder was like, "Yeah, well, I mean that's a great place to start an artistic, you know." <laughs> uh statement is with you know that we're all in this just represented by the same people i thought that was a hilarious quote but it worked out very well in the end yeah i mean this movie um, came out of it yeah exactly um but anyway i i watched two different documentaries about this movie mm-hmm. which uh were kind of different in tone um one was kind of older and focused more on gene wilder um and had an interviews with gene wilder I f- he passed away when like 20 uh not that long ago yeah like, um let's see if i can find that information real quickly yeah like post 2010 right um, uh 2016 yeah so very recently i mean to be honest it's kind of a miracle that mel brooks is still with us well mel, yeah he's what would you say he was last week 96 or something and he's still like producing shit like actively working 96 he's 96 it's insane like crazy stuff um and we hope for many more years many more years like 96 more years you know he's got the if anyone can do it he's got to be the 2000 yeah he could do it like he could honestly keep (laughs) it going for 96 more years yeah (laughs) um but yeah so one focused more on gene wilder and the other one yeah focused on the 2000 year old man mel brooks slightly Mm -hmm. more heavily (laughs) and they were both neither of them were like you know they never didn't like rip on the other one or anything. It's just like the focus was more on that person. So they kind of biased towards like this person was, you know, a creative, mm-hmm. you know, powerhouse in this film. Um, but I think both of them gave Mel Brooks his, uh, his, uh, his, 
his due. Yeah, they tip the hat to Mel Brooks and his, you know, his t- style of directing, which we'll talk about a bit more. He certainly had a style, yeah. Basically, what I was saying before about how it wasn't exactly how he said it was, I think as soon as they, his agent was like, you should do a movie with these people. Mm-hmm. He was like, hey, well, I came up with this idea while I was working on Blazing Saddles yeah. for Young Frankenstein. So they were like, all right, well, let's sell it to Columbia. So he wrote just kind of a quick draft by himself. Mm-hmm. And they sold it to Columbia based on that. Based on the draft. Yeah. And then according to this documentary, the Gene Wilder one, I forget who exactly who said it, but they said they suggested they get Mel because they thought he would be right for it because of Blazing Saddles. They just thought it'd be he'd be a good fit. And well, they were like, yeah, why not? You know, exactly. So this next point this is, is super... the most important detail. I think that you this is the, this is yeah. straight from the horse's mouth. This is Gene Wilder himself. Gene said this. Wilder said this. Yeah. And the last one was not from either of them. It was oh, so a, Mel Brooks, was... the last one wasn't the last one a quote from Mel Oh, Brooks? it might have been. It was a quote from Mel It Brooks. was. So maybe it was, maybe one had the, I mean, so point is, I'll tell you what we're talking about here is we're talking about last week we said that they, their brain. And this is a crucial point. Yeah, yeah. Crucial well, point. Here. They fed their, their, their creativity with Earl Grey is what we claimed last week. And we obviously poo-pooed that because Earl Grey is obviously the. It's a, it's trash tea. It's the lesser tea, obviously. Yeah. But Gene Wilder, according to Gene Wilder, they made coffee. He said they sat around over coffee. And he, specif- he was specific about the type. I forget what he said, but he was like a specific type of brewed coffee that they like, you know, pour it over for a while. And like, you know, it was a he re- he specified. Right. My point. So but. The other thing was a quote from Mel Brooks, where he specifically said Earl Grey. He did. He did. So it could be that one of them had Earl Grey and the other had coffee. But or when were when were when were these documentaries made? One, well, the Mel Brooks one was more recent. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly. One I think was the eighties, and the other one was the two thousands. The Mel Brooks one was the two thousands. And which was the one where they said coffee? The eighties. Okay, never mind. So Why? That's. I was thinking because it's like. This would have been a thing that happened many, many years ago. You know, it's possible that one of them could be misremembering. Well, the, but the more recent one is the Earl Grey one. That's so, true. So that's, if anyone's misremembering, it's Mel Brooks. That's true. Because so it was knows? so long ago. He's 96. He I choose, was then, but... I, yeah, good point. I choose to believe it was coffee. Well, he might have been. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I choose to believe it's coffee. Basically, other than that, we explained everything that, like, the pre-production last week. Yeah. So we can move on to the actual kind of production. Mm-hmm. And much like the uh, last Frankenstein film we covered, it seems like the uh, the set was a real party. Oh, like, yeah? Like, in a similar way, in a very similar way. I mean, you just have that kind of, like... Uh group of people i think you're gonna get something like that exactly no clown though this time there was no clown no clown unlike the dedicated jester rather i guess he's more of a jester than he was a clown the guy on the the uh abbott and costello Costello set yeah yeah. such a weird detail Mm. super weird it seems kind of that marty feldman filled that role here Mm. yeah apparently he was very uh wacky on set and apparently, he's very wacky on camera as well. Yeah, exactly. And was I forget who it was, but one of the people in one of the documentaries described him as a one-man Monty Python. <laughs> I thought that was a good description of him. And someone else uh, compared him to Buster Keaton because of his like like 
physical silent comedy mm-hmm. like and i mean and that goes beyond just you know his eyes you know it go- yeah. it's the fact that like the uh the scene that they used in the documentary to to show it was like the one where he like opens the door by putting his hand through it and then mm. when he goes around the door he's scared by his own hand yeah. he's just like a good silent he just knows how to do that sort of thing he's just funny to the bone so he was the uh he was the guy uh, during both documentaries though that was unanimous as well is that both gene wilder and mel brooks both fucking uh, heaped praise upon the the women who were uh in this film because they apparently were which ones were in blazing saddles a couple of them uh madeline khan was in that um and then um it was terry gar this was her first film role i believe was it actually i think so let's find out no no yeah oh hold on these are all tv shows no yeah she it's not her first film role what is her first film role uh her first um let's see uh something in 1963 an uncredited uh, a swinging affair she might must have been a like a child in that okay uh yeah so it, it seems like she's been in uh couple movies but yeah anyway this was the first the the biggest film she had done yes it seems based on what i'm looking at here yes she was apparently she originally uh um auditioned for the fiance role Mm. but the uh the woman who played the fiance apparently who what was she was the one madeline khan i can't i can't remember her name for some fucking reason madeline khan was apparently uh like wanted to be the fiance oh yeah she like had it it like she had the character like ready after she like read it mm. and apparently and gene wilder was saying like yeah it wasn't like much of a character until she like got to it and it was like took yeah. on a whole new like <laughs> she, he was like why would you want to be that character it's like because the, she had like some idea for it yeah yeah, yeah and she, she it was pretty fucking funny and part of the fact that they both like uh heaped praise upon all the women is that there was tons of uh improv like in this movie that, yeah that made it into the movie as well mm-hmm. the scene i'm thinking of specifically is the bit where uh Frau blucher keeps offering the young frankenstein stuff frankenstein, frankenstein. you know she's mm. like a, a glass of a cup of tea yeah, 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 yeah. ovaltine uh, so she apparently improvised that whole bit <laughs> where she kept turning back and gene wilder apparently like read that she was like doing it so he like matched her perfectly with mm. it but he also to the point where he was like doing the movements where like she would turn away yeah. and he would turn away too and then she would turn back and he would turn back with her it's like yeah. perfectly like improvised it's like speaks to how good gene wilder is it's like yeah such a so i mean as well as the fact that you know she improvised that hilarious bit as well to care for a brandy before retiring no thank you warm milk perhaps no thank you very much no thanks oh Valtin. nothing thank you i'm a little tired uh and then the bit where uh wilder they're like He's saying goodbye to his fiance, Madeline Kahn. See, I remember this time. I'll count the hours that you're away. Oh, darling, so will I. Not on the lips. 
What? I'm going to that party at Nana and Nikki's later. I don't want to smear my lipstick. Oh. You understand. Of course. All aboard! Oh, dear. Well, I guess this is it. Freddy, darling. Well, how can I say in a few minutes what it's taken me a lifetime to understand? Won't you try? All right. You've got it, mister. I'm yours, all of me. What else can I say? My sweet love. The hair, the hair. That was her bit. <laughs> Which is just so funny. And again, it's like these things kind of like make the character. Like, uh, But ultimately, like we were saying, it seems that Marty Feldman did the most improvising. Like, mm-hmm. And Gene Wilder was saying that he did his best work when uh, he uh, his reins were loosened. Is the quote he used hmm? when Mel Brooks loosened his reins? <laughs> what does that mean? Exactly. So I think you know they all said like liked Mel Brooks as a director. Everyone, because like I said, it was a party on set, and Mel Brooks wanted it to be fun. You know, because it's mm-hmm. a comedy, it has to, you want to keep it up all the time. Um, but everyone said he was a good director, and he like would go and give notes. He did a lot of takes. He's you know very uh, particular like the cinematographer who we will talk about more shortly was saying uh, 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 he he did a take like the 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 emotional take where Gene Wilder's like cuddling like hold coddling the the, 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 the monster mm-hmm. he they did that scene and he was like wow that was like really good like and then uh, he was like let's do it again like we're doing it mm-hmm. again he's yeah. like what that was perfect and then the next one's like he said it was even better so yeah. it was like you know anyway He's like, why well, he really was uh, uh, into doing it again, but <laughs> apparently they had to do it again sometimes because, you know, obviously people would break. Yeah. Um, but not only the actors, apparently it was a problem that the cameraman oh. would laugh sometimes <laughs> or like try not to laugh and then the, it would shake. Yeah. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Oh, and then the other thing, apparently, I'll, I'll cut this out if you have this for your bit, because okay. I think it's something the cinematographer said. He was saying that during one shot, he was they were like rolling forward towards mm-hmm. something, uh, and he like stumbled or something, and like it kind of shook the camera a bit. Mm-hmm. So the cinematographer called cut. Yeah. And apparently Brooks was like, "You never call cut. You never call cut. I'm the only one who calls cut." Yeah. And he was wow. like, "But but the shot was ruined." And he was yeah. like, "It doesn't matter. I want it to. I want it to have that." you know, old movie feel. They're like, I right. don't want any zooms. I don't yeah. want, like, I want it to be stationary. And, mm-hmm. like, they definitely wanted it, had a vibe in mind. But yeah. I don't think he, like, exploded at him. That's not the vibe I got. Yeah. But he was like, like, yeah, don't ever say cut. Mm-hmm. They they also talked about how it is directing and is writing. Mel Brooks was super focused. They made it into a thing in both the documentaries. I thought okay, it was kind of yeah. funny how, like, he was maybe like, "It's based on something he said, though." Yeah, maybe because he was like super into comedic timing, and they're talking yeah. about how good, it, and they were like all brought it back to like, "Well, you know, he's a drummer, yeah, so you know, he's, like, he's all about timing." Oh, yeah, it's like uh, that sort of thing bothers me so much. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like it, it's to a to an extent, it's probably true, but it's like at the same time, it's like it's not because he's a drummer that he's good at rhythm. It's well, just because. He's smart that he's good at both comedy and the rhythm of comedy and the rhythm of drumming. It's like, it's not like, I don't know. It just sort of bothers me making that connection. Could be the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're just asking questions. But anyway, he was able to translate it to comedy in some way or another. Mm -hmm. 
whether it be the way that they implied or not. <laughs> um, trying to think if I missed anything for the production here for like the actual like you know oh, yeah, yeah. shit that uh... was going on during the production, but we have more to talk about, so I'll think about it while we go into our uh, our next little bit, our next segment here, where because there's actually quite a bit to talk about. Well, not quite a bit, but a, a very there's, there's, a there's decent amount to talk about here. Decent amount and an important shit. So we will go into our next segment right now. All right. Love yeah. to how they shot it. Here we are. Talk about how they did that. How? Talk how about what how, they did in front of and mostly behind the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me. What um, did they do? How did they shoot it? Uh, well, I mean, what's the most obvious thing about this film? I think to yeah, most I viewers, mean, well, is I, like, what, what did you notice? I mean, do you think this was shot on digital? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I'm um, gonna have to say no on that one. Okay. Sorry, one second. I'm looking for something specific. It was. It is black and white, as all viewers will have noted. Yes. It was, in fact, black and white. The guy who shot this film was one Gerald Hirschfeld. Yeah, and uh, Mel Brooks called him a genius when he was talking about this movie. Yes. Uh, they He seemed to have... Hirsch, like, he seemed to be very keen on having uh, Hirschfeld specifically for doing this. Right, because he wanted it black and white. and he thought... Well, actually, this is interesting originally actually let, let's go back a bit further but um mm. and let's also point out that the uh, first assistant camera was uh, eric d anderson eric d anderson <laughs> not different <laughs> yeah, interesting when mel uh mel brooks was uh sort of talking to uh to uh gerald for the first time he basically uh set up like an interview right right and uh he wanted to basically make sure that they uh they got along and um as uh did they get along well so uh, i mean clearly when when uh as uh, as gerald puts it he says uh mel began kidding me about some of my past film and so-called errors he felt <laughs> i'd made he asked if i didn't think that in diary of a mad housewife the tub in the bathroom was too bright and the gels on the bedroom window shimmer a bit in the breeze at first, I took him seriously and was more than a little upset until I realized he was doing his thing and pulling my leg because there was no tub and the bedroom was an interior set that didn't require window gels. <laughs> so I pulled his leg and said, one more derogatory remark about my work and I'll leave. We understood each other and laughed. It was the beginning of what turned out to be a great work experience. <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, um, that shows you a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of a into Mel Brooks, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, while you might not uh, expect it from just like looking at the film, like uh, straight off, uh, Gerald Hartfield said that this was that this film incorporated more photographic and special effects than any other film he'd done. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so initially, uh, the decision to do it black and white was firmly a mel brooks decision yeah so um gerald herfeld was uh actually opposed to it 
Yeah, right. Okay. And so when he was suggested, basically, like, uh, why was do you know why he was opposed to it? Did he say? Yeah. Okay. Well. Basically, okay. Go on. Go yeah. On. Um. But like, I mean, basically, it was the sense that like, uh, you know, well, I'll just I'll, I'll read what he says. He says, right. um, "I started my career making black and white films, and I moved along with the industry as color became the new medium." I'm sure you recall that television started black and white and progressed to color. Now, we are all, in a sense, victims of advertising and, at <laughs> present, reject the use of black and white films as archaic. But where in the book of rules does it say, make all motion pictures in color? If I was correct, as it was many years ago, to use a soft focus lens for a close-up, we don't arbitrarily throw out that in favor of one so critically sharp as the new lenses are in. Uh, that, that the skin and pores will show. We add diffusion once again to soften the lens. Similarly, if it's right for a story to be photographed in black and white, we shouldn't arbitrarily shoot it in color. I found after viewing the dailies that the black and white not only seemed right, but actually enhanced the feeling of the mood of young Frankenstein. Totally. So, but when he was initially, um, like, said to like uh by mel brooks is like oh we should do a black and white uh he like tried to like uh spin it to to like be like oh yeah you know that's a good idea but like it'd be great if we start in black and white in like the first scenes in transylvania and then we segue into color when it goes into yeah yeah exactly (laughs) i I read that as well they're like yeah Yeah. we'll do the the newer stuff will be in color yeah yeah yeah. but but he was um uh mel brooks was firm it was extremely all black black and white and it was supposed to like very, very much look like uh, the kind of films that they were trying to emulate, like the uh, the original, the original Frankenstein. Frankenstein films. Yeah, and so and um, Bride of Frankenstein is a lot of uh, the they did a lot of things to basically uh, try to capture that look. But basically, the idea was like they were trying to get like the maximum contrast in the frame. Yeah, yeah. Like, basically, they said like. Uh, no midtones, all like um, like in the style of day, like uh, bright whites and dark darks. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. Like um, super, uh, super yeah. high contrast. They uh, they ended up using. Um, Mel Brooks said they had to go to a specific company to get their film. I don't remember what he said. I think it's sort of like a V. So uh, they shot the film on specifically Kodak or Eastman Double X. Yeah. Uh. 5222. Okay. Which is, I mean, I find that Double X is like a very grainy film. Like, um, I actually don't really like it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's certainly a style. Yeah, it's certainly a style. And it's like, I think it was the more vintage, like, uh, choice. Choice. I th- yeah, I, I feel like yeah, you wouldn't choose that if it was your if you were doing an original thing, but because they're trying to emulate something, it, yeah, it makes and they more also sense. they pushed the film to stop, which uh, like basically increased the contrast and also increased the speed of the film effectively. Yeah. Um. So they were actually uh, shooting at like a, I guess it was a pretty common. Uh, aperture at the time but they, they, they basically shot like a, a at a t4 f4 as as most people would say in the photography industry but um <laughs> i yeah but because basically like it was um 
yeah, they didn't actually need to use that many lights. And you can kind of see like everything is like super dark. Yeah, the well, they the the way Hirschfeld is that, that's his name, right? Yeah, Hirschfeld. In one of the th- the movies I was or documentaries, he said like so that meant like you know shooting in black and white. It meant super bright lights and like yeah, exactly. Like, you know, but but not no. a lot of them. No, exactly. So it's like yeah, so really high contrast, uh, dark darks, light lights, and uh, there's a little bit where he was talking about uh, the lightning bolt. The lightning bolt. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so apparently. Um, that was actually a real electrical discharge. What? It was not like painted onto the film. That's crazy. What? Yeah. So when they when they do the whole thing, it's like it's alive. Like uh, they there is actually like electricity. Yeah. So they built like these discharge devices, um, I, and they actually started a couple fires on the set. Apparently. <laughs> um, but oh, it's well, it's called uh, a Jacob's ladder. Basically, it, oh, yeah. it builds up like static electricity and like you know releases it. Yeah. So, but yeah. So as he says, it it was a real uh, five hundred thousand volt uh, electrical discharge that did the lightning That's bolt. That's ridiculous. Effect. That's hilarious. Yeah. That that also reminds me that I forgot to mention that about the set. Right. We forgot mm-hmm. to mention that the set. So much of it. Most of it, really. Was from the original Frankenstein movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They contacted the guy who had the actual set and the guy who designed it, and they, mm. they shipped it over and, like, used it, and then yeah. just added on a bunch of shit to so it. So where did they actually film this? I, fuck, I don't remember. Let's see if it says here. Oh, basically, Hollywood. <laughs> basically, Hollywood? Yeah, it was shot in... Uh... It seems mostly uh, in MGM Studios in Culver City, California. There you go. So I don't know where they shipped it out from, but they, he said they got it on some trucks and drove it over yeah. to the lot. Yeah, so presumably they were just moving it between places in Hollywood, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a good set. Yeah. Really good set. Uh, and there's one more little effect that he talks about doing, um, which I thought is cool. Was it the head? Uh, No, this is about... Um, like basically they wanted to have a train going through Transylvania, right? Right. So they built like this um this wooded area. And uh but they wanted to make it look like they were going really fast. Yeah. So they uh they put the camera on a dolly and then they started shooting at 8 frames per second. Okay. So, so that when they sped it up, it looked like they were going really yeah, fast. Yeah, right. But then, because they didn't have, they had it was like a set. They didn't really have like enough distance right. to 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 last very long on film. Yeah. It, like, what they did was they found, they made sure that the shot ended with the entire frame being filled by a tree. Yeah. So that they cut it, and looped it a bunch of times. That it classic. That's hilarious. Just, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's hilarious. Yeah. So that's that was that. Man, fucking editing on film is such a different animal. Yeah, really. It really it's so intimidating to be yeah. honest. The idea of like editing a film with film. Yeah. Like I mean, I've done a little bit of it, but it's like I've not actually done anything like artistic with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. To be yeah. Per, to get something precise and to get something like 
good. It's, it's actually not as bad as you might expect. Right. Because like, I mean, you can kind of you can really see what's going on, and like, it's it's actually not as hard as it seems to undo what you just did. Right. Because, I mean, it's just it just takes more time, and as long as you don't like cut everything. Right. You know. Don't yeah, ruin so you, the you film. can usually undo what you've just done. That's good. It just it like um, it's just a little more annoying. Takes more time. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I really have much else to say about that. Well, you the other said something with the head. Well, there's the just the one effect with the Frank where Frankenstein monster's head. You know, they when they're running electricity through him, he oh, like right, lights yeah. up, and you like see his bones and like teeth and shit. Mm, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was actually a practical effect. They um they built a head. And they put a light in it, and they put... Oh, yeah, the fiberglass head, yeah. Yeah, and they uh, and they had, yeah, like, teeth and, like, a skull in it. It was pretty, mm. pretty cool. And like, so they just put a light in the head, and it, like, it showed through the bits yeah, that were, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, it was, like, actually just cool practical really cool, effect. Yeah. I like that sort of thing. I wonder where that head is now. <laughs> Mel Brooks's living room, I bet. <laughs> yeah, maybe, actually, yeah. I mean, if you were Mel Brooks, would you not have it somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would want... I mean... If I were Mel Brooks, I don't know. Who knows? Mel Brooks is probably th- on a whole other level of existence than the rest of us. What do you mean? Because he's Mel Brooks. He's the one and only Mel Brooks. I feel yeah. like he's living a very different life than anyone else is. Like, I don't know. Like don't Bob know Dylan. <laughs> no one Bob else Dylan. is living Bob Dylan's life. Yeah. Just like no one else is living Mel Brooks' life. <laughs> I feel like it's probably easier to reach Mel Brooks than Bob Dylan. Oh, uh, well, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bob Dylan's far more insane. Bob Dylan's Mel- living on his own planet. Yeah, he's far more off the rails. But than... that's unrelated. Un, un, uh, totally unrelated. Unrelated, yeah. So, yeah, so that's how they shot it. That is indeed how they um, shot it. But after they shot it, they had to fucking edit and screen it. Yes. Um, And apparently there were no reshoots necessary. They they had everything they well, needed Well, because Bob Brooks made sure to get enough coverage of everything. Exactly. He was very, very particular. Apparently, though... Fucking Mel Brooks was ruthless in cutting shit down. Oh, really? Yeah, he, like, cut tons of stuff from it. So I wonder what bits we yeah, lost. I wonder what ended up on the cutting room floor, yeah. Exactly. Um, and apparently in some things, fucking, uh, uh, they only stayed in because the editors, like, begged Mel Brooks to keep them. Really? And he was like, fine, we'll keep them for one more test screening. Yeah. And then it worked on the test screening, so then he was like, fine, fuck, we'll keep it. Right. Um, and the, specifically the walk this way bit. Oh, he wanted to cut that. He wanted it out. He was yeah. going to cut that. But the editors were like begging him to keep it, and it's hilarious. Did I did I say last week that apparently that's the inspiration for the Aerosmith song? No, I was going to mention that briefly in the truth, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so, so funny. funny. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> walk this way. Yeah, Aerosmith comes to us. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, come on, bring it on. Um, no, actually, don't bring yeah, it on. I'm sure I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather not be super. I'd rather you didn't bring it on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the editors apparently were super involved. The editors were in one of the movies I watched, sat, were sounding like kind of sounded like dicks towards oh, yeah. the end of their interview just because like not like dicks in that they were being dickish but like every other fucking like sentiment out of their mouths was like 
and that's why it was so much better back then like and that's why the way they make movies now sucks it's just like just shut up and like tell your story like stop like okay like you're just it's just frustrating it's like not everything has to be a dig about like you could just say what you did as opposed to being like this is why it was so much better yeah but that's what he was that's Point being is one of the things they were saying um, is that the editors were like would go to the test screenings, which mm-hmm. wasn't always like standard practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would like sit in the audience and like really kind of feel out the audience. And Mel Brooks would like you know fucking tell them to do this because they wanted he wanted to get all you know I guess they wanted wanted to all be on the same page in terms of rhythm, you know mm-hmm. rhythm again because you know because you know Mel Brooks is a drummer. Yeah, Mel Brooks is a drummer, you know. Exactly. So. <laughs> So he's got to be on the same page in terms of rhythm. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, you know, the makers of the documentary also were the people that made the ultimate decision to put that in the film. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we got we got one more segment for you here. Oh, yeah? I don't know if you're ready for it. I don't know if anybody's ready for it. You couldn't be more ready for it if you try because it's always around us it's not false it's is it always around us is it really always around us sometimes we're surrounded by falsehoods well whether or not you know what the truth is it's there it's there Here we go truth time uh is it, is it truth time or is it lie time <laughs> you really truth, like telling the truth here truth sayer lie slayer <laughs> that's what i am that's what i will always be yeah. so we got a couple of things to talk about we're gonna start with the most pressing question of them all i believe is why german why were they speaking german Did or, they, or not they speaking speak german, german or were they they spoke a little bit German, but it was mostly with German accents. German accents. Yeah. We, and we questioned this uh, last week because Transylvania, you're talking about extremely, you know, Hungarian. Uh, well, yeah, there are people that speak Hungarian. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was looking into it because I wanted to I don't see... want to reinforce uh, Hungarian, um, you know, <laughs> revanchist ideas. Oh, yeah, no, no, I didn't mean to do that. I just meant there was some... There was some... So... <laughs> it's still sovereign Romania. <laughs> no one's... Yeah, we... This podcast recognizes Transylvania as sovereign Romanian yeah, territory. Of course, of course. Want to be clear about that. Of course. But, yeah, so apparently, though, I was looking into it, and German... Uh, there are tons of Germans in Romania, mm-hmm. um, and they are the most represented in Transylvania. Oh, really? Okay, I see. So, and it's a, enough, enough of a thing that there's a Wikipedia page of Germans of Romania. Okay. And there's tons of it. So, it's so not unreasonable. It, but do we know if uh, Mel Brooks, if, if that's why he made that decision? No, we have no idea why he made that decision, but... He, Do you think it's possibly because he just thought it was a funnier accent? Oh, very likely that he just liked that accent more. Yeah, it is a funnier accent, especially when it's no one who actually speaks German is doing it. Mm-hmm. That makes it an even 
more hilarious accent. Das ist gut. Das ist eine Pullover. Ja? Ja oder nein? Das ist gut. Das ist sehr gut. But yeah, so that's why German. That's the most pressing question of the truth that I think we needed to answer there. But the second thing is, I you know, we talked about Frankenstein and the truth before, you know? Lamont, like... We did, I don't yeah. know if you remember, but... I we, do. We talked about uh, fucking Giovanni Aldini mm-hmm. and his uncle, Dr. Luigi Galvani. Mm-hmm. But I thought we'd just go into that a bit more because I think we, we talked about him in, in the precursor to just talking about the Wolfman. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I actually went and found a, a more much more detailed article about it. Um, so I thought I'd just read a few quotes from there. Just pretty fucking ridiculous shit. Like, it's right on the money. Like, you see why Mary Shelley fucking had the idea with, like, you know, this sort of shit floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as we said last time, his uncle would fucking, Luigi Galvani would fucking, you know, run electrical currents through frogs and their legs would fucking like flop around and he'd be like, look, look, it's alive. It's It's alive. It's alive. So, uh, 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 fucking his nephew, Giovanni Aldini took it fucking one step further and he started doing it on like, uh, you know, mammals and like sheep dogs fucking goats mm-hmm. and it became sort of just like a fucking parlor trick where he would like look reanimate yeah look I, i'm making shit. i'm jamming a curd into their brain and look how their tongue moves it's a lie yeah. uh it says here he was drawing crowds to his laboratory as he attempted to reanimate sheep pigs cows and oxen so what he would do is he applied electrical impulses to the corpses using a battery. And then the animals' heads would shake from side to side, their eyeballs would roll, and their tongues would roll out of their mouths. Yeah, so that's pretty fucking gruesome. But apparently it, uh, it was all the rage for a while. People came to see it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he grew bored, it seems, with just fucking doing this on animals. Um... Did he do it on humans? Humans? But yes, that was the next... Uh, Obvious next The next step. step, yes. So he basically fucking waited. He just waited for uh, the next, as we mentioned last execution. time we talked about that. Yeah, he just waited for the next execution. And we talked about the possibility of the conspiracy last time. Oh, that somebody getting executed so that their body could be used for this? He, like, yeah, he, like, tried to streamline the, the trial yeah. so that he could get it, you know. Faster. Yeah. Um, but we didn't go beyond that. Because apparently these, these because uh, what happened is they, because he was in Italy, mm-hmm. they were executed by beheading. Oh. So, they and then they would drain the blood. Yeah. So, without blood, obviously, there's not really kind of useless on a headless corpse because that the blood is how it makes it you know that's where the electricity travels i thought it was through the nerves but uh, then again i don't know anything about this that's what it says here yeah so it might be both but yeah I'm, i mean that's probably it makes sense that like blood is what makes your lurching guess, probably, right yeah more so than the nerves so then but the guy that is the the one that was like the conspiracy was george foster he connected the battery through him to hours, apparently. 
It took like hours. He was doing it for hours, and he apparently his jaw quivered, his facial muscles contorted, mm-hmm. and his left eye opened. <sighs> so that's pretty creepy. Apparently, it even looked like he inhaled at one point, and then the battery died. Oh shit! <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, that was it. And he considered it a failure. He was like, "Well, he didn't come back to life." Yeah, no shit. None of your other shit did. Yeah, but every yeah, exactly. Like, why do you think that would work? But everyone yeah. else was like, "That was so cool." Yeah. And uh, it just news spread, and then it got to Mary Shelley, and then there you fucking go. You got Doctor Victor Frankenstein. I highly recommend anyone who hasn't read the original Mary Shelley book because she was only eighteen when she wrote it. I, she's a fucking like genius. I think I don't know how you yeah. write a book that good at eighteen, like seventeen or whatever. She's one that stands the test of time as well. I know, like, super cool, super cool. But yeah, and then the last thing I was going to talk about, you already mentioned, was the Walk This Way. Yeah. There's the fact that that's an Aerosmith Aerosmith song that is comes from this movie. Yeah, the title does, at least. Oh, yeah, allegedly. No, they said it. Oh, they said it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear it from the horse's mouth, so I wanted yeah. to throw the um, allegedly in there. Um, Let's see. Okay, so this comes from... Uh, jack douglas who was the producer of the album okay but uh yeah apparently uh him and the band went to go see the film all right and they were laughing about that and so they just wrote a song based on that he suggested that they call the song that so yeah that's that's basically everything we could do our final thoughts about this movie i'm sure there's tons of more stuff because it's a mel brooks movie so you know the lore never ends exactly Uh, but yeah what are your what are your final thoughts on this movie? Let's hear them. Uh, I mean, it's a really fucking good movie. Really funny. It's a it's an interesting take on the classic Frankenstein story. It's shockingly good take, I think. Like yeah. shockingly accurate to the to like the message of the book. Yeah. Um. And you know, it's a it's a classic uh, Mel Brooks movie with uh, you know some great performances by uh, Gene Wilder and. Uh, all the others. Yeah, exactly. It's great fucking all around really good. Yeah. People at the like peak of their careers really. Yeah. Doing some of their best work. It's funny. It's kind of a fucking uh, it was cuz it seemed like it was sort of an instant classic like as soon as it came out people like loved it and were yeah. like treating it like a classic. And a lot of that I think had to do with the way it was shot and the way it looked cuz it looked like a classic yeah it looked like it was much older than it was and apparently this is i forgot to mention this earlier is like uh during one of the uh they were shooting earlier on in the in the process Mm -hmm. they were looking at the dailies and for a while uh mel brooks was not happy with how it was looking Mm -hmm. and apparently it was like it looked too much like the original he was like i want it to be more like i want it to be more yeah and apparently uh, Gene Wilder came to his like, defense. And he's like, well, you know, we didn't tell him that we wanted more. We want, we told him that we wanted it to be, this, you know, <laughs> yeah, the same. But anyway, he slowly changed it, and then they got on the same page. Hmm. But, yeah, it's kind of an instant classic when it came out, and now it's an actual classic. Yeah. So it's pretty funny trajectory. It's a good film. Really funny. Worth watching. Worth watching again. Exactly. I don't know. I might do that very soon exactly um yeah that's final thoughts uh i think that's that's probably it for this week's episode i don't know do we have any 
Oh, you know what we forgot to do? We've got a new segment that we're going to introduce that oh, yeah. you brought up. Oh, are we going to do that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, I mean, we can't do that. Uh... Well, we can't do the we'll segment, it, but yeah, yeah. I was going to say that we'll introduce what the segment is. We can do yes. that now at the end of the episode. Okay. Do you want to yeah, take the lead? Because it's your, you're the father of the segment. It's your baby. I'm, I'm the you... Frankenstein of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, reanim- you animated it. <laughs> Okay, so um, I came up with this idea. Uh, I think we're gonna call it probably like something like uh, I don't know. Uh, we don't have a name for it. We don't it have yet, a name for but it, we'll... but we're gonna we're gonna go through the world, the world, the of world film. of film, and <laughs> we are going to each time we do this segment, which is as of yet has no regular schedule. No, we'll figure it out. We but... will pick a country in the world. That listens to our podcast. Yeah, general will go through the pod read. The uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll go through whatever stats we have. So we're not going by like you know the UN list of countries. Or whatever. No, no, no. Just um, we'll just go by people the who stats have we listened. Have, yeah. Uh, to see what country has listened to podcasts, and then we will we will talk about the highest grossing film in that country, and uh, one of us will watch it and uh, give us their quick take. Yeah, so we'll just, I, I don't know whether we'll do it at the end of the episode or the beginning. Or just somewhere in the middle, but, wherever yeah, just, it So we'll throw it yeah. in. It's just, yeah. uh, it'll so, be a fun, uh, next week, uh, something we'll different. Yeah, well, you know, we're getting near 100 episodes yeah. here, so we have to start, you know, giving you something new and different. Yeah, exactly. Because all 10 to 15 of you deserve it. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll talk about uh, talk about Sweden and the uh, highest grossing film in Sweden. Did we? Yeah, it's well, I, it's I have to do some double checking to see if exactly that's if this is one hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we, we'll, 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 we won't say what it is. Yeah, right. we'll figure that out. We'll do it. But yeah, so that's this week's episode. I guess Sweden will be the shout out. For... Yeah, Sweden. Thanks for checking out. Yeah, podcast. thank you for listening. Uh, much appreciated. And hopefully we'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about. It. Highest-grossing Swedish film of all time. Yeah, so, so come back. I don't know what film we're gonna do next week. We oh yeah, we'll, we'll, I I have an idea, but we'll talk about. Okay, it. yeah, we'll yeah, do I'll talk about that off air. All right, see you later. Peace out.